Hey, let's open our Bibles, John chapter 7. We're actually on the last verse of John chapter 7 and jumping into John chapter 8. Last time we talked about, excuse me, if anyone is thirsty. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different kinds of thirst. We know that. But Jesus was talking about this spiritual thirst that we have deep within us to have a relationship with God. There's something within us that we want to have a relationship with God. And we know we need it. We fight against it sometimes, perhaps, but, but the spiritual thirst really comes and is satisfied when we reach out to, to the Lord. And, and that's what Jesus said, come to me. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And, and uh, <clears throat> I really like what it said in the Psalms. David said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So Jesus said, you know, if you're thirsty, come to me, which is, a, in, in, in essence, a, uh, a confession that he was God, that, that, that we would come to him directly and, and drink, and that the Holy Spirit would then also bring about this fruit and, and, and all the other things in it uh, that he has for us. Now today, <clears throat> we're going to look at, excuse me, my voice is very dry today, I think I'm thirsty. <clears throat> We're going to look at a very uh, familiar passage, and, and uh, you know, it's easy just to like gloss over it and just race over it, but there's, there's so much stuff, and when you, when you slow down and stop and look at what the passage says and, and what, is, what is the Lord trying to speak and what's the message that he's getting across then, and also what is he trying to say today to you and to, 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 you and to me, and Really, it's the passage about the woman caught in adultery. We, again, we are familiar with it. But, but I kind of looked at it from this viewpoint, uh, and I've titled the message, Ready to Throw Stones. Are you ready to throw stones? Because we have, you know, we have different sides of this thing that's going on here, and, and we see the, these spiritual leader guys and what they're doing. We see the woman kind of caught in the middle. And then we see Jesus. And what's Jesus trying to do? What's Jesus saying? So let's go ahead and read the passage first, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Starting in chapter 7, verse 4, uh, 53, <clears throat> it says, Then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn... He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. 
But neither do I condemn you, condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray again that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word. Challenge us about our own hearts, where we're at. Which side of this thing are we at? Are we judgmental and always looking whatever other people are doing? Or, or, maybe, or maybe we're in trouble ourselves. Father, we pray you again you'd speak to us, help us, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> we, saw, <clears throat> we saw they were at the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was kind of, we got to the end of that, and Jesus made that great statement, you know, if anyone is thirsty. But then in verse 53, it says, they each went home. They went to their own homes, it says. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Anybody uh, kind of know the physical uh, nature of you have the temple in Jerusalem, and then there's like a valley in between. I should have made a, got a picture for you. And then, and then up the other side of this valley is the, the Mount of Olives. And it's actually about 200 feet higher than the Temple Mount. So from up on the Mount of Olives, you can look down over. Now, you've seen all the pictures now that, that show the, the Temple Mount, but the Temple isn't there, obviously. What do we have up there? Right. And, and, and these other things that are up there, but, but the temple isn't there yet, I want to say. Because the Bible says the temple is going to be rebuilt. And we look forward to that. But <clears throat> Jesus went up there, and, and we don't know where he stayed. Did he, did he just spend the night in the, 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 the Garden of Gethsemane, which is also located on the, the Mount of Olives? Did he, did he sp spend the night there? We don't know where he went. Did he go up a little further and, and stay with you know, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We don't know for sure, but, but it's interesting what caught my attention in this. It says each went to his own home. They were in Jerusalem for this festival, you know, a lot of rejoicing, a lot of excitement, a lot of things happened, but where did they have to go eventually? They had to go home. And I, and I, th I think that for you and I, you know, we can go to church and have, have a great time. We can, you know, get all stirred up and everything. But eventually, we got to go home. And it, it made me wonder, like, well, do we, take, do we take that and do we bring it home with us? Or do we just do some, the, the one thing here and it doesn't affect how we live over here? It's, it's just a question that I had when I, when I saw that. Each went to his own home. That's where life really happens, isn't it? That's where we end up. What's it like at home? Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives, it says, and, and then in verse uh, <clears throat> 2, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So at dawn he got up very early, and he went back to the, to the temple courts, and, he, and, and all the people would be, began to gather around him. There were a lot of people there were, that were there early. That's interesting. How many of you are early birds? How many of you are not? More than are. <laughs> oh, good. I was going to say we were going to uh, change our service time to 7.30, but <clears throat> I guess that wouldn't work out too well. How's that working out for you? Not too well. Anyways, he got there early, and there were the people that gathered around him, and it says he sat down to teach them. And as, as I pointed out last week, you know, normally the teachers would sit down to teach. 
But when he made that last statement, he stood up and he said it in a loud voice. So there were times that they would stand up and speak in a loud voice, but often, most often, they would sit and they would sit and teach. So Jesus was there, he's sitting, he's teaching the crowd, the crowd is gathered around him, if you can picture that. And then these teachers of the law who, you know, they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And the Pharisees, again, spiritual leaders. It says they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They brought her in. Now, uh, you have to wonder, like, we've already read the passage, so we kind of know what, ha- what is going on here. They, they had ulterior motives, right? They didn't, really, they didn't really care about this woman, first of all. All they really cared about was trapping Jesus so that they could get rid of him because they hated him. They wanted him out. So they brought this woman in who was caught in adultery. Now, we can't just gloss over that and say, well, adultery is fine and, and you know, that's not the problem. Well, it is a problem. You know, one of the Ten Commandments, right, is you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. And adultery you know, uh, is very destructive. And basically, you know, the definition is relations with someone who is not your spouse who is married, or you're married and the other person who is not your spouse, you're having relations. It's clearly wrong. It's, a, again, a destructive thing. Uh, I think uh, the passages that, that deal about this in a very uh, powerful way are in, found in the book of Proverbs, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And, but it talks in there, you know, about, about, you know, that someone who is going down that path, it's like they're, they're, they're about to lose their lives. You know, they're about to fall into this trap. They're about to, you know, uh, just wreck it all. And, and at the end of their lives, just say, you know, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Clearly wrong. I saw a little snip somewhere uh, about uh, Johnny Cash. And uh, I never knew this before, and I don't know his songs that well, but you know the song, Walk the Line? And someone, it was his daughter, uh, Roseanne Cash, was saying uh, his wife, Johnny's wife, was worried about him going out on the road. Why? Because a lot of temptation out there, a lot of problems, a lot of stuff out there out on the road. And so, uh, and and I don't know the whole story, but he wrote this song, I'm going to walk the line. I'm going to stay faithful to you. I'm going to, I'm going to walk the line. That's kind of interesting. There is, there's certainly this dedication, this, this commitment that needs to be made. You know, hey, this is a sacred vow. This is a sacred vow that we make and not to be broken. Now, was it their job to bring her in? I don't know. Again, reading the whole story, we say, well, what, what are they doing here? They made her stand before this whole group, and, and really, I think they wanted to humili- humiliate her as well as what they wanted to uh, trap Jesus with. Verse 4, it says, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught. There was no getting out of it. It wasn't like, you know, she was, she was pretty much dead to rights, and, and so you wonder, like, how did that happen? It's, maybe they... You know, uh, some, some who write about this think that they actually set it up. 
Because it's kind of difficult to catch someone doing that. Uh, you know, you don't kind of advertise it, hey, I'm going to commit adultery tomorrow over at such and such a place, such and such a time, if you want to catch me. <laughs> Matthew Henry says this, Adultery is a work of darkness, though it is, which those involved take all the care they can to conceal it, to hide it, yet sometimes it's brought strangely to light. And those that promise themselves secrecy in sin deceive themselves. So, you know, we, we, we think, you know, we're going to get away with it, and, you know, but, but it comes out. And, and, and that's the, the thing about sin is like that. It's going to come out. Our sin will find us out. That's what the Bible teaches. And we think we might be getting away with something, the kinds of things we're involved in, but you know what? They're, they're going to come out. They do. They always will. Now, that isn't what this message is about, but we can't, again, ignore the fact that she's involved in this situation. And something was going on in her life. And in the end, we see Jesus deals directly with her. So Jesus wants to deal with the people that are involved in this kind of trouble, as well as these self-righteous guys who are trying to trap him. <clears throat> they said that in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, you know, there is passages that talk about, there are passages that talk about that. But when you go back and look at them, it says that both should be put to death. Both. So you have to ask the question, where was the guy in this situation? He gets off the hook, he's set free. If, if, they, if she was caught in the act, well, there was someone else there. Oh, he just ran really fast. You know, he didn't even bother put his... Never mind. It always takes two to tango, that's what I say. You know, in marriage relationships and in the things that we face and struggle with in our lives, it's always two. It might be 90% one, but, but, but the other one still has got something to do with it. And, and that's why when we talk to people, you know what? Uh, you know, what, what's your part in this? Oh, it wasn't me, it was all her. It was all him. Really? Well, that's a problem right there. That's that self-righteous attitude that, you know, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. I, I'm all set. And that's what we kind of see in here. Now, they, they were trying to trap Jesus. And the enemy, of course, he tries it, and, you know. And, and so, so it's like if, if Jesus, you know, said, yeah, uh, you know, stoner right now, he, he was already developing this reputation that he, that he was a friend of sinners, that he had mercy, that he had grace. Or if he took the other side and said, you know what, just let her go free, you know, then he would kind of contradict what the Scripture said. So, so this is kind of the trap that they're trying to catch him in. And, and you know what, you can't mess with Jesus, I find. You just can't do it. You can try, and they, they, that was the best they could come up with, and, and it, did it work? We already know it didn't work. In the end, no matter what we try to put something over and trap and, and trick Jesus, it, it's never going to work anyways. And anyways, it says that he bent down and he stooped down, it says. 
He stooped down. Now, they're all standing there, all standing, you know, self-righteous and everything. And Jesus, he could have like just went, you know, Texas Walker, uh, Ranger. He, he could have just like, you know, a couple of punches, you know, a couple of kicks, and they're all laying flat. He could have done that, right? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Meet me outside later. I'll show you. Oops, I'm staying in here. But Jesus, Jesus again, they're trying to trap him, and what does he do? He takes a lower place. He, he stoops down, he humbles. He takes a humble place. In contradiction, in, in contrast to their you know, self-righteous pride, he kind of lowers himself, and that's what Philippians says, that he, took, he humbled himself, became a man, and, and, and you know, went to the cross for you and I. So he lowers himself, and then he starts to ride in the ground. And, and you know what? There's a lot of people who, who speculate, well, what was he riding? You know? This is the only place that it ever says anywhere that Jesus wrote, by the way. And we don't even know what he wrote. We have no idea. People, you know, have all kinds of ideas. Well, you know, uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, when it was you know, talking about writing the, the commandments on the tablets, it says that they were written by the finger of God. So they say, well, well, this is the finger of God. He's writing in this, you know, sand now, the commandments, just like, just like back in those tablets with Moses. Others say, you know, that, that he, was, he was writing down their sins of all this group around, these guys that were standing around. Or maybe he was just writing their names. He knew their names, and he knew exactly who. We don't have, we really don't know. We don't have any idea what he wrote. We could, this is, this is kind of how this works. We could uh, think of some ideas and then build a whole doctrine about, around it and then kind of go off into some weird, strange tangent. And that's kind of what we do. So we want to be careful not to uh, speculate and then build something on speculation, Right? That's just a little side note. There's no extra charge for that. <laughs> but he's writing on the, the ground, and, and, and they keep pushing him. In verse 7, it says they kept on questioning him. And look what it says in, in verse uh, 7. Let me find it here. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. I can just imagine that. Jesus straightened up straightened up to his full height, and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. I mean, Jesus knew how to deal with people, right? Let any one of you who is without sin, let him be the first to, to throw a stone at her. Now, that was biblical, too, that the hands of the witnesses... Uh, who actually were the witnesses in some kind of a case against someone, they would be the first. So that is biblical. But, but he was kind of going a whole lot deeper than just that, wasn't he? He says, if any of you is out sin, and you're here to say what we need to, to do with this woman, let's look back at you first. That's where it starts to get to us. You know, are we ready to throw stones? Well, what about us first? Proverbs chapter 20, who can say I have kept my heart pure? 
I am clean and without sin. 1 John, New Testament, if we claim to be without sin, what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's only one who was without sin. Who was that? Jesus. Now he could have, if he was the only one without sin, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first. He could have done that, but, but that's not what his whole program was. That's not what his whole plan was. David Guzik said this, a common sin, a desire to punish the sins of others while ignoring our own. We're so quick to jump on what someone else is doing wrong and, and, and we're, we're not even cognizant, we're not even aware, we're not even thinking about what I'm doing. We're just ready to do that. And we've got to be very careful about that. We're so ready to jump on, you know, so-and-so, and, and it happens in relationships a lot. We're ready to jump on the other person, we're, and we have got our, you know, our fighting, you know, we're in our fighting stance, and we're ready to jump on them, and we're, we're not thinking at all how we might have caused the whole situation. Ready to judge others, and ready to, to, to point the finger at others. And you know what they say when you point the finger at someone else, What? Yeah, there's actually three. It's not four unless you can bend your thumb like really weird. So you got three pointing back at you. And that's, you know, that's really what, what, it, what it comes down to. Paul said in the book of Romans, he says, You have no excuse, you who pass judgment or judge someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other person, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And it's interesting, yeah, when you're really getting on somebody about something, well, we might be doing that same thing secretly, and, and we're hiding that ourselves. He goes on to say, though, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. We need to let God deal with it. That's God's territory. But God's, God knows for sure. God knows each and every heart, each and every action. Now, uh, some of you may be thinking, and, and I, I don't know if you are or not, but some of you may be thinking, well, well, isn't there a time to say something sometime? Is there? You know, we, we, we can, again, take things to such extremes, you know, well, when you, you pull out of a passage like this just what you want, and just, you know, that means, you know, don't ever judge, and don't ever say anything, and it, it really, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, committing adultery or they're doing this or, you know, they're living together uh, outside of marriage or some other kind of relationship that is, you know, against the Word of God. Maybe there are some times where something needs to be said, but first, I think we need to search our own hearts. We need to be very, very careful. I want you to turn back with me to Matthew chapter 7, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talked about it again. Uh, Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7 uh, contain what? The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. So we're going to look at chapter 7, verse 1. This is very interesting. Look. And, and, and it, it ties in with what we're talking about here. He says, do not judge, verse 1, or you too will be judged. It's going to come back at you. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. We're so harsh and and ready to jump on other people, it's going to come back at us like that. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first, first, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, he's saying, he's saying we need to search our own hearts and look at ourselves first, but is he saying you never should help? When someone's got a, something in their eye, you're just going to say, sorry, you know, I can't, I can't really talk to you about that. It's, can't do anything about it. No, he says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly enough to actually be able to help them with that which is in their eye. Again, it's a whole attitude. It's a whole, you know, taking a a humble place instead of a judgmental and self-righteous place. In in, uh, James chapter 5, it says this, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So there is a sense when, where we do need to help one another. If somebody is wandering off into this, do we never say anything? No. But, but if you notice, it's this idea of helping them. Not just judging them. It's the idea of, of bringing them uh, back. And, and, and there's this idea of saving, this idea of saving and covering over a multitude of sins. That's, you know, love covers over a multitude of sins, the Bible teaches and tells us. So it's a thing of love. But, but if you're doing it, if I'm doing it with, with no love, then we're, we've got, we better stop. We better stop. We don't, if we're not doing it out of love. One more passage uh, in relation to this. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him what? Gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is love, by the way. But he says, watch yourself. You know, we're all, you know, we're ready to say so-and-so's got this problem or whatever, but, you know, we're all, we're all vulnerable as well. And until we understand that, you know, uh, we're one step away from being in the same kind of situation that they are, that we're susceptible to. Again, so, so are there times when we need to speak up, but only in love and only in the right situation, only we, we've searched our own hearts first, and, and instead of you know, jumping off the handle, flying off the handle? Let's back, back to John chapter 8. Verse 8, it says again, He stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. That's kind of interesting. Why do you think the older ones went away first? They've, they've been around the block a few times. This ain't my first rodeo. 
you know, I know, I know my own heart. If you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you know, it doesn't, you know, you don't, you don't become Mr. Pure. You know, we, you know the, the temptations and the trials and the troubles don't stop just because you're getting older. You know. You know the weakness of the, the human heart. And they began to see, whoa, I'm out of here. The older ones first. And finally the younger ones said, you know, well, I guess if they're leaving, I'm not going to stick around. You know, maybe they hadn't committed adultery per se, but Jesus talked in the Sermon on the Mount about adultery of the heart. Plenty of other sins, too. He wasn't just speaking about adultery, I believe. Plenty of other things that they came to their minds. We are, you know, if any one of us can say I'm without sin, you know, we just read it first John. We deceive ourselves. We're, we're lying to ourselves. We're not doing ourselves any good. We're not doing anybody else any good. The picture I see, though, in these, in these two verses is this, that after they all went away, what does it say? Only Jesus was left. Ultimately, isn't that, isn't that the way it's going to be? Despite what other people say and, and you know, how they come down on us and all that, in the end, it's between you and and me and Jesus. Just me and him. Just you and him. Ultimately, that's what it's going to be. That's why we should go directly to him. Just us and him. It, it's kind of a, a beautiful picture in a way. Maybe it's a humbling picture. Maybe it's a, a scary picture, knowing you know, our own lives and our own hearts. But, but when we look and we see what, what happened here and how Jesus deals with it here, verses 10 and 11... It says Jesus straightened up again. And he asked her, Woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Has no one taken you to that place of condemnation? And she said, No one, sir. And Jesus declares, it says, Then neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn. That's not what, again, his plan, his purpose, his... What did he come to do? We all know John 3.16, right? But John 3.17 and 18 speaks to this directly. Let me read it to you. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. You see, we're already condemned. Jesus came to take us out of the condemnation. These guys wanted to see, you know, judgment. Jesus wants to see freedom and forgiveness and grace. That's what he came to do. The Father sent him not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's forgiveness, there's freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that, you know, we're never going to sin again? No, the Bible makes it clear. We, we are going to fall. We're, gonna, we're, we're, we're not perfect. We're going to blow it. 
But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's covered by the blood of Jesus at the cross of Jesus. You and I. That's why we, that's why we got to stay close to the cross. Because we're going to blow it. We're going to make mistakes. But there's forgiveness with him. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no matter what, we can go to him. So Jesus didn't condemn her, right? He said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And, and, and then, then he said this, neither, neither do I condemn you, but, but, but he said this as well. And we, we, again, we have to keep the balance of what Jesus is wanting and Jesus is speaking about. And he said this, he says, go now and leave your life of sin, or, or go now or go and sin no more. So he didn't condemn, right? He didn't condemn her, but he also did not condone what she was doing, right? We, we you know, again, we have to be careful about this. If somebody, you know, is, is involved in something, some kind of sexual sin, some kind of pornography, some kind of, you know, adulterous relationship, you, you know, Jesus wants to free us from those things. Jesus wants to give us victory. He, he's not there to put a hammer on you. The, the devil will do that. Not only does the devil want to trap us, but he for sure wants to condemn us. So he's got a really large hammer, you know. And, and sometimes I work on cars, and, and uh, sometimes you've got to get a really big hammer to fix things. You say, well, what does your car look like? You're fixing it with a hammer. There are times when you've got to use a really, and get the biggest hammer you can out to get this thing to move, right? And that's what the enemy is like. He wants to hammer us. He wants to condemn us. He wants to tell you, you are, you know, nothing. You are a complete loser, an idiot. How many of you face that kind of condemnation? I do sometimes. A lot. And I have to realize that's spiritual battle. That's not Jesus saying that. He says, neither do I condemn you. But he's not also saying, just carry on, my friend. He says, go and sin no more. He accepts us as we are, and he forgives us, but he doesn't want to leave us that way. He doesn't want us to continue. Why? Because he knows that it's not good for us. These kinds of things are very destructive. He says, go and sin no more. You think about it. He says, go. You need to go forward. You need to go on. Don't just stop here. Don't just stay here. Get up and go. <clears throat> but, but take a different path. <clears throat> he says, sin no more. No longer. Don't. You know, it's time for a change. It's time for a break with the past. It's time for a new start. It's a, kind, a, a time to turn and, 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 and walk with, with him. He didn't, he didn't just say, go and sin no more. You're on your own now, and if you can, you know, if you can make it. But, but I believe the Bible tells us that he, again, is with us. We, we looked at that uh, last week with the Holy Spirit within us to, to help us to walk that walk in and go the path that he wants us to go. That's Jesus. 
We want Jesus to work in our lives. He didn't come to condemn us, but to save us, to rescue us, and to give us the strength to walk on that path. He says there's a narrow path, right? And there's a very, very wide path. Which path are you and I going to walk on? And he doesn't condemn us, but he still has a path for us to walk on. And it's a, it's a good path. It's a healthy path. It's a path where the blessings are. That's what we, we, we read about in Psalms uh, uh, 86, 84. <laughs> 84. That we're blessed when we walk on his path. That's where the blessings are found, walking in, in his way, in his path. He'll help us. He promises to help us. So, are we ready to throw stones? If we are, we better stop and have a look at ourselves. What, what's my life like? What am I doing? We're ready, we're ready to pick on someone else and, and you know, slam in them, but, but you know, we need to get the plank out of our own eye first. We need to, we need to look at the mirror first, no, no matter how difficult that might be. Neither do I condemn you, he said. He declared, go now, go and sin no more. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and it's, it's difficult in a lot of ways because it really points to us. but we see you, Jesus. We focus on you and what you're, what you're all about. You want to forgive us. You want to heal us. You want to give us that strength, that life that only you can give. The power to live for you. Maybe we're the self-righteous Pharisees Father, humble us that we might not do anything unless it's in the law of love and motivated by love and love covering over a multitude of sin. Yeah, you're, you're in a bad place, but let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me give you a hand to pull you up out of that. Or maybe we're like the woman. We've been caught. We're, we're involved in stuff we should not be involved in. We're going to stand before Jesus. And, and that's where we need to be to hear, his, to hear his words. He says, I'm not condemning you. I want to save you. I want to give you that strength to go and sin no more. Walk a new way. Walk that path with me. Lord, hear our cry as O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Hear our cry today, Lord. Father, I also want to pray as we close for any who have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you don't know if you're going to go to heaven or not. If you don't know, the only way to get there is through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. 
The only way to get to heaven is to come to Jesus Christ and ask him into your heart and life and be forgiven. And the way is open. And you can pray with me right now and simply say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. I, I'm lost. I need help. Please come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord. And save me that I might be forgiven, that I might have eternal life, and that I might see you one day face to face in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?